I want to reassure everybody that there's plenty, plenty, plenty of work out there, but your work has to be really strong. You don't want to copy someone because you'll never, you'll always be inferior to the copy. You want to be your own voice, and that necessarily is unique. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there, this is Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration and host of the Inspiration Place podcast. You're listening to episode number 181, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, I did a bit of a roundup episode. I am trying to pre-record as many interviews, solos, content, roundups, all the things as possible. So if you've been a fan all along and you listen to every episode, you may have heard me say that I'm packing up my home in the burbs, which is where I normally broadcast this podcast, and I'm moving. So I'm not sure if my podcast equipment is going to go into storage or how quickly I'll be able to set it up and what the best setup is going to be. So I know that there's going to be a period of time that's a bit of a question mark. So I'm trying to make sure I batch as many episodes as I can, which by the way, that's a technique that I share with my artist incubator clients called batching. And of course, it takes the name from you make a batch of cookies or you make a batch of cupcakes. And the whole idea is that you don't make cupcakes one at a time. Like you don't mix together a teaspoon of flour and a teaspoon of egg and bake that. And then when that comes out, mix mix up a little frosting, frost it, and then make another cupcake like a week later. So it's much more efficient to make a big batch of cupcakes and put that into the oven, bake them all at once, and then frost the whole batch at a time. So same thing is true in my work. And same thing is true in your work. You can create a bunch of artwork and wait till that collection is done before you photograph all your artwork. So you batch that photographing and you batch posting it and you batch all those things. So I practice what I preach all the time. So that is why I'm batching up podcasts. And if you heard me use the term batch, that's what I am talking about. So like I was saying before, I don't know where I'll be (laughs) for a while. There'll be about six weeks where I don't know when this house is going to close, when my thing will be in storage. We may have to stay at the country house for a while. And even though the internet is amazing out there, because it is a farmhouse and we live on top of a hill, we do lose power when the wind blows. It happens quite a bit. So Make sure that I get all the content for you so that you never notice a thing and you'll get me every single Tuesday. By the way, if you love the show, I would love for you to leave me an honest review wherever you listen to your show. It does help other people find the episode. 
And if you have happy things to say, why don't you send me a direct message over on Instagram? I want to make sure that we connect over there. My handle there is at Shulman Art, and it is spelled S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N-A-R-T. I would love to connect with you. All right, let's get into today's show. Now, there are many forms of commercial art. A lot of times it's referred to under the umbrella of art licensing, although technically not all commercial art is sold that way, meaning sometimes artists are paid outright for creating art for a brand or product or a manufacturer. And other times they're paid a royalty or a licensing fee. And that's where the word art licensing comes from. But often we refer to all the different ways people are paid to as the art licensing. So know that during this episode, we're not going to distinguish. We're just going to refer to everything, whether it's illustrating or art for hire, or any of those things as art licensing. For this episode, I've rounded up the best bits of advice from experts in the field. You're going to hear from agents and artists who create art, and they you'll see their art featured on all kinds of products that you love, everything from greeting cards to bedding to illustrating children's books to fabric. And I hear from so many artists that they want to learn how to break into that world. A lot of the advice you hear are snippets I've pulled from podcasts going all the way back from the first dozen or so I've done. And since we're up to 180, I know many of you either may not have listened to it or it's been a while since you listened to it. So I have clips from all those expert episodes as well as a coaching that Ronnie Walter did for us inside the Artist Incubator. So inside the Artist Incubator, I'll often invite guest experts to do a special training just for the coaching clients in there. So we're going to hear from Ronnie first. How do you know if you're right for art licensing and art licensing is right for you? It is not right for everyone. Just we'll start there. And and part of it is you know, when you're licensing your art, you are making um, a step into a more of a commercial arena. You are talking to people that have customers, that have retail customers that are eventually going to buy your work. And so they have to have a connection in that marketplace. And the customers, the retailers need to have a connection to that style of art, how that's going to be received by their own customers. So it's kind of, there's a long tail there between you saying, hmm, I think I'd like to explore art licensing and getting it down the line to people saying, yes, this is right for our customers, both our retail customers and then the retailers saying, yes, that's right for my customer that walks through the st- into, the, into my store. And sometimes those don't translate. That doesn't always make it all the way down that road. The other thing is you might not want to license your work because it doesn't feel right to you. You don't want your work onto products that you either don't buy or don't buy into. And so you have to make decisions along the way of where you you want to land in this more commercial area. You kind of take a, take a step away from fine art and into more of a commercial marketplace. And sometimes people don't fit. They're just like, yeah, yeah, I don't want my stuff on puzzles or coffee mugs or name a product that has art on it. And so 
sometimes, and, and I find this in when I coach artists, is they come to me, and sometimes by the time we have a conversation and we unpack some things, they don't want to do it. They're like, no, that doesn't really suit me and my work. And so sometimes it's you and sometimes it's them. And sometimes it's not right for licensing right now. So you, your artwork might be amazing and fabulous and be perfect for the commercial market, but the people you are talking to are not ready for it. Whether it's timing, they're doing Christmas, you're doing florals, you know, that kind of a thing. There's a timing thing or they love, love, love it and they can't sell it internally. So there's any number of reasons why they might say no to you when you want to go down that road. Okay. So the next question or the next thing that I wanted to talk about is the three different pathways. Let's talk about pathway number one. Pathway number one is what I call a generalist illustrator. And when we think about art licensing, we often think about very common products that have art on them that repeat all the time. Things like paper tableware and the entire social expression industry. So that's paper tableware, mylar balloons, greeting cards, all of the cute stuff, gift bags, gift wrap, all of those things that are always requiring requiring new and fresh artwork each season. And so there are lots of artists, primarily illustrators and surface pattern designers, that just serve up portfolios that just do that job. They refresh their portfolios all the time. They come up with new collections all the time. They primarily work in collections and they are just serving those markets that repeat all the time. And some people are perfect for this kind of work. This is where I started my licensing. When I first started licensing, scrapbooking was on this really upward trajectory And they needed an enormous amount of illustration, stickers and background papers and sayings and rubber stamps and all of this. And so there was this glut of product that needed illustration on it. And that's when I started licensing my work, which, by the way, was a wonderful time to start licensing. And so people that do that really well, they are in that they kind of go down straight down that licensing road that we think of when we think about art licensing. They do all the cute stuff. They do traditional. There's a range of styles, but they are on the kind of products that repeat all the time. Okay. So um, we're going to move on to pathway number two. But before I do that, I just want to make sure everyone knows that one of the best examples of pathway one is Tara Reed. Okay. So pathway number two, I call the conceptual artist. And the conceptual artist is basically, they come up with concepts. It's more about the concept and the art is the driver for the concept. So, for instance, um, that might be faith-based. It might be just a point of view. It might be you have a very specific audience you're going after who either humor is a good example of a concept, faith-based artwork. Um, and concepts. And then you're not going to be doing a whole, like, oh, I'm not going to be doing a snowman around this thing. I am this, you either buy the concept or you don't. Now there are people, and I started to morph more into the concept side of things, but there's an artist named Lori Siebert, who is very good at this. So she does, it's kind of like serial monogamy. I mean, you do sort of serial concepts, like 
she's very good. She's a very good illustrator for one thing, but she will come up with like, this is a story about friendship. And then the wording that is delivered with the artwork will be around friendship. It'll have deeper meaning and you might buy it. You don't love the artwork, but you buy the concept. And so when you are going from the concept side and some people have one singular concept, my whole concept, not mine, I'm just saying a person could have a concept around empowering women or let's say tween girls. That is their singular focus. Their artwork delivers that message. The messaging within the artwork is all about empowering tween girls. And so they are going to go toward products and manufacturers that do things specifically for that audience. And again, those kinds of licensees are going to either buy into the concept, they'll go, yes, we get this. Yes, we love the artwork. No, we do not. I love being in the yes or no category. When you're a generalist illustrator, you are in a sea of many people like how we have you know, 150 snowmen to choose from, and you're one of 150 snowmen that are showing up. The concept is you're, you're definitely in the, yes, this is us. No, this is not, or this is not us right now. And so I, um, one, another agent, we always quote Marty Siegelbaum from MHS licensing, who always says my second favorite answer is no, maybe is like nowhere still. And so when you are a concept artist and you're coming up with this is my concept. This is my point of view. This is my thing. The visuals deliver that. Then you're in the yes or no. You're yep, nope, cool. I'm good with that. So that that some people come from that. Okay, so now let's move on to pathway number three. I feel like Carol Merrill. <laughs> Behind door number three is, and again, dating myself. Okay, well, uh, whatever. Okay, pathway number three is what I would call the art brand. And the art brand is particularly fine artists that do a singular style and they have a singular look and they are sort of known for that look. And again, you're in the yes or no category. So yay on that. It's just a matter of finding the partners that you can work with. And they're, again, going to look at your artwork and say, this totally resonates with our vision, our customer base. And yes, we would like to work with you. And um, it's, it's, you're just, it's your artwork. You, you are not manipulating it much. If you're, if you're like, say you're a, a painter. Yeah. They're going to expect good photography of your artwork. They're going to expect color corrected files from you um, as far as the production goes. But they're not going to expect that all of a sudden you're going to make this flower bigger and that one smaller or shift color because it's your vision. It's your art. So they are going to just they want to license you as the artist. And, and when I say an art brand, I also mean like somebody that lives their art. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. Don't ask me to be this. This is my artwork. And it either resonates with you or it does not. And so a couple people. One is. An example is Drew Brophy, who's a surfer artist. And he's a surfer. He does surf art. That's what he does. And he's he has a lot of licenses. Um, there's, a, there's a woman that sort of bridges a little bit, but has a singular look um, named Kelly Ray Roberts. She does sort of a folk art style. It's very singularly understandable. 
it's one style, it's her, that's what she is. Even Mary Engelbright, who is sort of the queen of licensing as over the many years, has a very singular style. And you either take it or leave it. You're an art brand. One thing that holds many artists back is the idea that the market is already saturated. Now, listen, my friend, that is a scarcity mindset, that thought that there just are too many artists out there. That's why I loved what my guest, who is an agent, Lilla Rogers, had to say. For all the artists out there listening, when another artist succeeds, that's great for you. It's great for them. Because the more energy is in our community, for all of us, it just adds excitement, energy, and and all that. So for example, if there's something great on Netflix, it's not, well, I'm just going to watch that one thing and, you know, that's it, I'm done. You're going to watch tons and tons, and now there's so much content creation. It's an amazing time for creatives. So what that's done is, of course, then there's Hulu and Amazon's getting into it and Disney and all these content creators. So it's good for everybody. Yeah, it's like if you like Chinese food, you can't. there's not going to be only one Chinese restaurant in New York City. There's mm-hmm. hundreds. Right. And then there's mm-hmm. also, there's Mexican food, there's Chinese food, there's French food. So we all have different flavors. Yes. Somebody wrote in a question to ask you about how saturated the art licensing market is. Do you feel that we've reached that point yet or there's still room? I'm always looking for something new and exciting and a vision and a style that I love. And I'm sort of the liaison for my clients, the companies, the the book publishers, the manufacturers who are looking for something new. The consumer people always want something beautiful or visually arresting that will never end. People are always looking for fresh ideas. It's kind of like saying if the music industry is saturated, like we can't, we don't have room for another rock star. Exactly. Do you say, oh, I have enough music on my phone, so I'm never going to take another music, download another. Or fashion. No, tell my closet that. (laughs) Or books. Oh, yeah. You're a big reader, right? Oh, yeah. My husband keeps saying there's another package from Amazon on the porch. No, it's too easy. So, you know, and I want to say that actually it's never been a better time for creatives. Here's why. Things, artificial intelligence, AI, they can do so much. Mm. When my mother had a business, she had so many people. She had a what her advertising people did now can be done so quickly in InDesign, for example. And then so much can be offshored to other people, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but that's what happens. And what does that leave? It leaves creatives because artificial intelligence can, or robots can never do what creatives do. They cannot write books and music and make pictures. And look what's happening again in Netflix and all that in the content creation industries. It's crazy. It's a great time. So I want to reassure everybody that there's plenty, plenty, plenty of work out there, but your work has to be really strong. You don't want to copy someone because you'll never, you'll always be inferior to the copy. You want to be your own voice. And that necessarily is unique. When you are your own, you follow your passions and your obsessions 
you will create your own unique style and just really work your ass off to get really, really good. So for many of the guests, I was very interested in how artists develop their portfolios and how they come up with fresh ideas. So that's why you're going to hear first from Jennifer Orkin Lewis. She definitely developed a huge portfolio for herself by creating a daily sketchbook practice. And she's a very popular illustrator. What do you do when you get stuck for an idea? Today, I feel like painting fruit or, or whatever the thing is. Because, yeah, sometimes I get mixed up or, or just busy. There's too much going on. And I, and I, I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint fruit. No, I'm going to paint people. No, I'm going to paint, you know, a Buddha. No, whatever. And I'll go on and on and on. And nothing feels like the thing I want to paint. Mm. And that's when, I, that's when it goes further into the day. And um, I just wait until the thing comes that says, all right, that feels like I could do it today. I have to say, I don't like every single thing I paint. A lot of them are mistakes or messy, and but it's very satisfying to just have done it. So, and do you share everything that you paint on Instagram or not? I, I pretty much share everything that I do as a sketchbook page that I intend to do as that. I don't share everything I do. But when I sit down to do my sketchbook, whatever it looks like, I share it. Okay. So I don't just rip, rip it out or say I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm laid bare. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, when you, let's say you decide you're going to paint fruit, how's that process look for you? Do you go into your kitchen and get an apple? What do you do? Do you draw from your imagination? I usually will either get something real if I have it, or otherwise I'll look on Google. And But I don't just look at one thing and copy that thing. I'll look at a million squash, you know, and say, all right, this is what they look like. These are the different shapes. These are the colors they can be. And then I just go from there. But I like to have um, a sense of the real thing so that I'm not just completely making it up. Okay. And then I know that sometimes your pages look more like patterns and sometimes they look more like a painting. Yeah. Like a, a say. So how do you decide what which direction you're going to go with that? Yeah. It's all that mood. Okay. It's, it's just like how I feel I want to do it that day. So, I mean, patterns come naturally for me because I was, I was a textile designer for so long. So I just, even if I say I'm going to do cats, I tend to do a whole lot of cats all over the page. So sometimes I'll look at my own cat, I'm painting her, and then she's in a scene. Or I'm doing my selfie, and there I am in a landscape. Or today I've painted um, from a vintage photograph. I just I have piles of them, and I was just going through, and something attracted me with a whole bunch of people, and I, put a, I picked a few of them out and painted them around a table. So then it's more of a. I wish I could get rid of Instagram and Facebook. (laughs) I know (laughs) it's a double-edged sword, right? Totally. It's a hundred percent like a diary, almost. It's just what do I feel like today, and I I can't really describe what that is and or how I do that. It's just the thing that comes out. I try not to make my sketchbook pages 
I don't worry about, am I going to sell this or is it commercial enough or is it on trend or anything like that? I just paint it. And because I like doing flowers so much and I like painting animals, they end up being commercial-ish sometimes and I can sell them. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't do it like, oh my God, what, you know, I heard that llamas are really big right now. I'm going to do a llama because then I'll be able to sell it to this greeting card company. And I don't do it. I don't do that. It wouldn't make me happy. Well, sloths are bigger than sloths llamas. are bigger, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I do paint them. And then, but it might be one day that I feel like painting a sloth. Okay. So then I'll do it. Now that you've heard from Jennifer, I want you to listen to Gary Levine. He's the owner of Roaring Brook, which is an agency. And he shared with me how his agency works with artists. One is that we work with with the artists to, we engage in dialogue and and we give them direction and we talk about what we would like to see developed in in terms of themes and, and colors and designs, right? On the other side of it, we do get input and requests for designs that are from the manufacturers. In fact, oftentimes those would be uh, directives from the retailers themselves. So if an artist would like to submit designs to us, really what they're imagining and what they're, they're creating and what's in their head, we welcome that. And we, there is a lot that's sold from that. And then at the same hand, the other side of it is that we'll get input specifically for certain projects we would then pose to the artist and have them create based on those specs. And then how far in advance are manufacturers designing collections? Six months, a year? I was told like Christmas, it's a full year in advance that they are planning their holiday collections. Is that true? Yes. Christmas is probably one of the most planned programs for any retailer. That's an excellent example of a very significant lead time. In fact, it's even a little longer than a year. But to understand, though, that's in the stores late September, early October. So you have to work backwards and imagine then, okay, this is July. Then the manufacturers need to put their samples together, incorporating the designs. They then have their meetings, their trade shows, and so on. And buyers are really making their decisions, probably more like in the January timeframe, they might be putting their buys to bed for the following Christmas season. So that's a rough timeframe. And where would you say the balance is in terms of the tastemaker? Do you feel like that's more you or the retailer? Like who gets the most influence and what ends up being a trend in the store? Retailers like to drive a lot of that. They prepare trend reports. They're quite often vocal about what they view as what they want. They, they give that directive. On the other hand, I spend a lot of time out at trade shows shopping with quotes on that. And for example, last week I was at the Atlanta Gift Show. And besides meeting with my clients, I was looking at what the buyers 
we're looking at in the showrooms. What were the trends and what are we seeing? You know, it's colors, designs, what are the metals that are showing? What are the fabrics that are on the products? And so I came back with, you know, pages and pages of notes that then I share with my artists and we have that dialogue in an art review session and they then will decide with us what they would like to create. So based on the trends that we saw. So again, it really works from different angles. And for the same matter, the other day I had an artist come to me and said, hey, I was just out shopping at the store and I saw there was cotton ball and farmhouse was everywhere. And do you want me to create something to, you know, so there's, they have ideas too of what Mm -hmm. they're seeing, or they might be walking with me at a trade show. And so they have their ideas as well. So again, Uh, There is no one place where the trend comes from. So this brings me to another question that I hear from people a lot. They want to know if, as an agent, when you're presented with a portfolio, is it a good thing or a bad thing if an artist works in multiple styles? It actually ultimately can be a very good thing that they work in multiple styles. The asterisk or the footnote, if you will is that if they're working in multiple styles at the onset and they're just throwing spaghetti on the wall, so to speak, mm. that, that can be very frustrating. Okay. So I have found that I, I actually am, it's really right down the middle, uh, that, that I've been interested in an artist who has a very specific hand and a very specific look. Okay, and and not multiple styles. And then I've also been drawn to artists who have multiple looks. And really, from there, we get into a conversation and we try to focus the multiple look artist to focus on one look and, and kind of run with that. And similarly, I've taken the artist with one look and we've run with that and we've had placement and it works. And then surprisingly, we discover, including the artist, that there's a new style that's born. And they may have been experimenting. They may have taken your class. They might have right. something. There, there's another part of them that in the process of working and, and doing this kind of work, they discover, wow, well, okay, you know, I've only worked with acrylics. I'm going to try, you know, pen and ink now. This is like a new thing for me. And wow, this is fun. And, you know, and now suddenly that one hand artist now is on to something else. So again, there's really no one right path. It often does help to really focus on one look and then really move on to the next one. Okay. What turns you off when viewing someone's portfolio? I would say a turnoff is is when there's political art or, you know, art that's just so abstract. And I don't mean We like abstracts, but I'm saying so abstract to what the core Roaring Brook business is that there there's almost a a lack of um, connection really to at all. You know, oh, I thought I'd you know show you this, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's like you know dark and 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 scary, and you know that 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 could be never you would never put it on a napkin, not on a napkin. (laughs) I was lucky enough to speak with one of Gary's most popular artists, Tara Reed. 
You might remember hearing Ronnie Walter mention her back in our first little clip. So here is what Tara had to say about what it's like to work with her agent. It just, it really depends. Sometimes it's a little bit of each. I would say like my portfolio is built more on what I want to build into it than my agent telling me. But at the same time, like I just, I recently just sent my agent a list and said, Hey, here's trends that I saw and heard about because he's getting ready to go to the Atlanta gift show in July. And so I said, you know, if any of these jump out as you at you as something you definitely want me to have done for that show, let me know. Cause and he'll help me prioritize like what I'm doing first, second, or third, if I don't have a real strong feeling about it. Okay. Sometimes he'll give ideas, but that's also tricky too with an agent because he represents so many artists. He can't just, you know, some some agents send the same trends to everybody. Mm-hmm. So they might have like 30 artists and they'll say, here's the trends we're looking for. And they send out like this mass call out. Well, then you get a bunch of people doing the same thing and one agent to be showing it. So it kinda, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. Like you're kind of um, competing against the other artists. Right, right. Because they don't need 15 tropical bird collection options. It, become, it would become so overwhelming for the client that they might not choose anything, right? Right. So my agent, I mean, I'll speak for him. This is my theory. I feel like he kind of follows what we're doing. And then if, he, if they were to come to me and say, hey, can you do this? It's because they know it's really in my wheelhouse of what I've done. Okay. So I've done a few collections. All right, back up because people who are listening, they don't mm-hmm. understand what a whole collection is. So when you say you have 35 okay. collections, how many pieces of art are in each collection? This is like I was going to St. Ives and... Right. Okay, okay. Yeah. so here's the basics of art licensing. So in art licensing, you need to create art in collections so that, so that a company, if you think about shopping... And I always like to use dishes as an example, okay? So you think about, I'm going to go buy some Christmas dishes. You wouldn't buy something that had the same exact design on every single thing, right? There's always four salad plates. They always have a different design on them. The dinner plate is usually coordinating pattern or a coordinating design that'll look good one on top of the other. The mugs might have the same four designs from the plates. So a collection is at minimum four images that coordinate, like that just totally go together. I always, you know, I usually start in squares, then I'll do some rectangles. I might put things in circles. You have to be really flexible with your art to be able to format it to different shapes. Again, thinking about the kinds of products, like, is it going to go on a round plate? Is it going to go on a rectangular tablecloth? Is it going to go on a mug that is like curved? So you have to be very flexible and be able to do a lot with your art digitally. Even if you paint, like I hand paint everything but I've got mad Photoshop skills because I have to. Okay. So four images minimum, maybe some more. And then I always do a few supporting patterns. So it might, for Christmas, it might be a plaid. It might be a snowflake toss. It might be a stripe. It might be all three. So that the manufacturers really have a variety of things to work with so they can make something interesting. So people want to buy more than one piece. Now, what if you don't have an agent yet? What the heck do you send them to get their attention? What do you put in your portfolio? That's what I asked our next expert, artist Lori Siebert. And again, she's also somebody that Ronnie pointed out as one of the leaders in this field. Okay, so if if an artist listening 
once they get started. And let's assume they know they need a portfolio right. to send to an agent. What do you suggest belongs in that portfolio? So in there's everyday, holiday, coastal, baby, kitchen. Well, kitchen is kind of included under everyday. So in everyday, the themes you're you're doing art that can is evergreen and they can put it on product at any time of year. So it could be inspirational, florals, uh, quotes, things like that. Things about home or family. Those are, you know, everyday themes. Holiday, the biggest holiday of all in art licensing is Christmas. So anything that's Christmas themed and they're always looking for typically botanicals, snowmen, Santas, you know, all the themes that are tried and true and happen every year. And when you just go into a store and look around, you'll see what those themes are. So those are the themes to put in, put your twist on and put into your portfolio. Okay. I have a Um, question about that. So the way you're saying it, it, we don't have to have all those themes, right? We could pick like maybe one, two or three that were special. Right. Cause I'm sure there's artists who maybe they're the Christmas artist or they're the exactly cute exactly. cat artist. Okay. Yeah. And I'm really glad you said that because yeah, you, you should pick and concentrate on the themes that really speak to you. You know, if you're, if you do inspirational and that's what you love or you do florals, do a lot of that because that's who you are. That's authentic. That will be, that'll make you happy when you're creating that art. All right, my friend, let me caution you. I know there's so much to learn about art licensing, but don't wait till you have everything perfect just to get started. Whether we're talking about art licensing or selling your art or any of those things, you got to start putting one foot in front of the other if you want to move forward. That's why I love what Ronnie Walter had to say. One thing I know that art licensing looks very complex, but you do not have to know everything to do something. Once you get the basics down, there's so much of it that it's just really practical information. Once you know it, you know it. But it's you moving your work forward, you understanding that you, in order to get something, you have to put yourself out there. All right, my friend, we've linked up all the full episodes in the show notes for each of these guests. If you want to listen to them, head on over to shulmanart.com forward slash 181 and you can start binge listening to all of these wonderful expert guests. Don't forget also to come say hi to me over on Instagram. I would love to connect with you. Because next week, we have on the one and only Italina Kirkness. She's been a guest on the podcast before to chat about social media. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. So connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at ShulmanArt, S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N-A-R-T. Just send me a DM. Let me know what you thought about this show. Also, if you don't want to miss the episode next week, make sure you hit the subscribe or the plus sign or the follow button, whatever app you happen to be using. They all call it something differently. And iTunes, they've made it this little tiny plus sign. I don't know why they did that, but it's in the upper right corner to hit the plus sign. 
And if you're feeling extra generous, leave me an honest review. doesn't matter if you leave a good one or bad one. All of them help other people decide whether or not to listen. By the way, if you pop your Instagram handle at the end of the review, I'll even give you a shout out over on my IG stories. All right, my friend, thanks so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com.